Good morning, saints. <clears throat> I'm going to ask you to bear with my voice a little bit this morning. My sinus medicine doesn't seem to be working as well as it used to, but the Lord is greater. You know, my heart is just so full this morning. It's full of thanks, thankfulness for everything God has given me and done for me. It's full of awe for God and especially God's word. How every time I read it, the Holy Spirit reveals something new from it. And how at the same time, it A, convicts me of sin, but B, because of the blood of Jesus, tells me of the grace of the forgiveness that I have been given, the depth of that grace. And then as the scripture said this morning, I'm so full of God's unfailing love. I don't deserve to be up here. I don't deserve to live the blessed life that I live. It's all because of Jesus, because God loved us, loves us so much. And finally, this morning, my heart is full of joy. I stand before you this morning as an ambassador of the Mighty One, and he has a message for you. And that message is basically, be joyful. Be joyful. You have so much to rejoice in. Now, this is the first Sunday of Advent. And actually, the first candle is the hope candle, not the joy candle. But we've recently had a really excellent message on hope. And the, Lord, the Holy Spirit told me to, to talk to you about joyfulness this morning. And so that's what we will do. Um, I have entitled the message, Joy to the World. And we're going to start in Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 12. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, watching over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. And then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And, he, and this will be a sign to you. You will find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. <clears throat> I bring good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. Great tidings, or good tidings of great joy, which is for you. Because God has put into action the plan of salvation to rescue us from ourselves. And from the sin that weights us down, the original sin passed on by Adam and Eve. You know, the Greek word for great there, it means exceedingly great. The root word mega, we use it to describe things like mega churches, 
not just a church, several churches in one sort of, it's one church, but, you know, 7,000 people, 5,000 people, 3,000 people. God's not in the numbers, but when you start talking about mega, it's exponential. So when you start talking about joy, it's mega joy. It's exponential joy. And then the Greek word for joy, which is kara, means joy or gladness. So I, I, Lord, what is joy? I looked in Webster's 1828 dictionary, which I usually look at when I want to know what the Bible's talking about. And it defines joy as the passion or emotion of pleasurable feelings, which is caused by success, good fortune, the gratification of a desire or some good possessed, or by a rational prospect of possessing what we love or desire, gladness, exultation, exhilaration. So what was the angel proclaiming that first Christmas? That the world should be mega full of gladness, exultation, and exhilaration because Christ the Lord has come to deliver us from God's judgment and the condemnation of our sins. And if that doesn't make you joyful, you really need to get into God's word. If that doesn't make you want to jump up and down and clap and applaud and pirouette, whatever that word is, pirouette, I'm just too excited to say it right. Amen. Galatians 5, 22 and 23 tells us that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, Gentleness, self-control, against these there is no law. Now joy, that emotion of gladness, exultation, and exhilaration, it's a fruit of the Spirit. And as always, fruit de is dependent on abiding in something, in the, in the plant. Or in this case, it's dependent on abiding in God. If you are abiding in God which is another way of saying you're full of the Holy Spirit, by the way. If the Holy Spirit is flowing through you, because we know he's already in you, if you know Jesus Christ, if the Spirit's flowing through you, joy is one of the fruits that you will exhibit, that you will produce. <clears throat> you pull any fruit from the life source on which it abides, it will stop growing and die. And so I would suggest if your joy, if my joy isn't a common occurrence in our lives, maybe we better find out if somehow we've been separated from the abiding in God through his Holy Spirit. You know, at the moment we are, uh, yes, speak for yourself, Wayne, but we are much uh, older congregation, a congregation of older people not just old congregation, but mature, mature congregation. And if you're somewhat like me, you generally act conservative and reserved. When I was growing up in church, you always looked forward, could never look backwards. 
He sat still. Even if you were four years old, you sat still. Or dad reached forward and whapped you across the back of the head. For some of us, excuse me, for some of us, the active demonstration of joy is hampered by our physical limitations. And yet that aside, if joy is a fruit, it should somehow be manifested in our lives. An apple grows on a tree. What do you see? A tree, yes, but you see green or gold or red fruit. If a tree produces cherries, hopefully you see eventually red cherries. And if you produce fruit or a fruit and joy eventually, somehow that joy should manifest itself. Let's look at an example of joy from the scriptures. 2 Samuel chapter 6, verses 12 through 16. Well-known story. Not just a story, well-known account. Now it was told King David, saying, The Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with gladness, literally joy. And so it was that those bearing the ark of the Lord had gone six paces. He sacrificed oxen and fatted sheep. Then David danced before the Lord with all his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the trumpet. Now as the ark of the Lord uh, came into the city of David, Michael, or Michael, I'm not sure how they pronounce that, Saul's daughter looked through a window and saw King David leaping and whirling before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. Okay, let me take a minute to say that an ephod, it's kind of like a long robe. Usually went down to the ankles. Usually had some type of uh, religious significance. Um, So to get an idea of how physically David was expressing his joy, you have to understand that he was jumping up and down and twirling around to the point that this ephod flared up and everybody saw his underbritches. And that's why Mike Mickel, whatever, described, despised him. It was like, oh, mighty king, aren't you? Just look at the fool you made of yourself. Just showed your underparts to everybody. God wasn't too happy with that because you keep reading the story. It says that she remained barren all her life. But the point is, is that David was so full of joy, he was unreserved in his demonstration of his joy. He just did what came naturally, and I don't mean by that in the old nature, I mean by what the Spirit was doing in his heart and how it was manifesting in his 
physical response to what was in his heart. He worshipped unreservedly. He rejoiced unreservedly. What caused David to be so joyful? Well, the Ark of the Covenant was the only piece of furniture that was in the Holy of Holies. The Ark was a box-like structure, and the mercy seat sat on, on top of it. <clears throat> and together they are referred to as the Ark of the Covenant. Now, the Ark of the Covenant represented the presence and power of God. It was the place where God and man met. So David was mega joyful because the presence and accompanying power of God once again resided in Jerusalem. God's presence resided in Jerusalem. And with God's presence comes his power and his faithfulness and his goodwill towards those who love him. And how did David display that unspeakable joy that filled his soul? Verse 14 tells us he danced before the Lord unreservedly with all of his might. Let's look at Zephaniah chapter 3 verses 14 through 17 for a minute. Sing, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away your judgments. He has cast out your enemy. Oh, that's a sermon right there in itself. The king of Israel, the Lord is in your midst. You shall see disaster no more. God is on your side is what he's saying. In that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, do not fear, Zion. Let your hands not be weak. The Lord your God is in your midst. The mighty one will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. Verse 15, the Lord has taken away the judgments against you. That's why there's Christmas. Jesus came to take away the judgments against us. And those judgments caused us to live under the wrath of God. Not just in this life, but the life to come. But because of Jesus Christ's faithful completion of his, min, of his mission, he, it, those judgments no longer exist against us. The slate's been wiped clean. You know how it is in your record that sometimes you can get the judge to wipe your record clean? Well, the judge of judges wiped your record clean. Isn't, oh, that right there and by itself is enough to rejoice forever. Verse 17, the Lord your God is in your midst. I was amazed this morning. Two songs and we're in the presence of the Holy Spirit. Two songs and we're in God's very presence here. He's in our midst. His ear is inclined toward us. His heart is inclined toward us. 
The mighty one will save. There's no question about it. The mighty one will save. He has saved you from the judgments of your past life, of the sins of your life. But not just that. He has saved you from the trouble that's in this world. It's not to say we don't walk through the trouble, but it's to say that he walks with us. In fact, he walked, we are kind of surrounded by him. The front, the back, the sides. So that when we walk through that trouble, it's like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego walking through the furnace. Not even their clothes came out smelling like soap, soap, smoke. The only thing they lost were, their, were the things that bound them, the ties on their hands. That's how we get to walk through life. Because God walks with us and surrounds us. The flames, if you remember the story, the flames say that the guards that threw them in the furnace were devoured by the flames. But not them. Because God was with them and surrounding them. And then in verse 17, rejoice over you. Literally means to dance, skip, leap, spin around in joy. In fact, the primitive root means to spin around under the influence of any violent emotion, usually joy or rejoicing. Somehow I've never put rejoicing and violent together. But I know violence is a very intense, consuming experience. And so our joy should be intense. And all-consuming. You know why I'm thankful this morning? Because I'm looking at the things I have, not the things I don't have. If I looked at the things I don't have, I would be sad. But I look at the things I do have, and I am blown away. I don't deserve everything God has given to me. And that makes me rejoice. God dances over you with singing, it says. Do you get that picture? God dancing over you with singing? Why is he dancing over you with singing? Because he is so full of gladness and joy that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. And he pirouettes around over you and sings. I think he sings love songs. I'm not sure, but I think he sings love songs. And that same joy that God rejoices over us with is the same joy that we should rejoice in him with. Now, I don't know that all of us are capable, physically capable of dancing before the Lord, but as that old song says, the Holy Ghost has set my feet a-dancing and set my heart a-dancing too. 
If we are physically unable to dance, we still should have dancing hearts. You know, it's like when we applaud for the offering in the morning. It's not just something to do because it looks nice or sounds good on the tape or whatever reason we would do it. The Bible says God loves a cheerful giver. And we're clapping and applauding because we're cheerful because God has given us something to give. Because it's the, even if it's the first tenth, the first tenth, it's the abundance of God in our lives. That's why we should be clapping. If you don't have that joy at being able to give, don't clap. God doesn't want you to be, act like something you're not, that you're not there yet. It's okay. He'll get you there. And that violent emotion of joy will somehow manifest itself physically. If it's in the countenance on your face or the healing of your legs and feet, a truly rejoicing heart cannot but manifest itself in you physically as well. I earlier said that I'm reserved. You know, for me, the, the truth is that's a nice excuse, excuse not to make a fool of myself as David did. And that's the truth. When I come right down to it and I'm honest before God, that's the truth. I don't want to make a fool of myself in front of somebody. The truth is that if I have the joy of the Lord in my heart, I have to resist in order to prevent it from being manifested to others. And why would I want to do that? Have those others been the, the cause of my salvation? Have those others been the source of my life? Don't get me wrong, I love you and respect you all. But should I care what you think about me when I'm worshiping before the Lord Enjoy with all my strength. We need to follow David's. Don't get me wrong. Don't take off your pants. But we need to follow David's example of rejoicing unreservedly with all the ability that we have. That's what might means ability. John chapter 13 tells us that the world will know us by our love specifically our love for one another. However, how can we be Jesus with skin on to them if we don't love them the way Jesus loves them? And how can we love them if we don't love the Father the way the Father loves us? And how can we be a witness to them if we don't rejoice in God the way God rejoices over us? Not trying to put you under the law here at all. It's not a heavy it's a diagnostic. So what the world is looking for is someone who's genuinely happy, full of gladness and joy because of what, how good their life is. What the world is looking for is someone who has peace under the most horrendous circumstances. 
And if we don't genuinely manifest those things to them, it will take us a long time to build up that bridge of trust to bring the truth of the gospel across. But if that's who we are, if we're full of joy and we're full of peace, we don't even have to build the bridge. They will come to us. You've, I know some of you have already had this experience. What is it that's different about you? What is it that you have that makes you so joyful? I remember when I was in college, there was a girl. She had a smile. I think she had it somehow surgically put on her face so she couldn't do anything else. The smile was always on her face, even if it wasn't in her heart. That's not what God wants. God wants a smile on your face that's going to rip your cheeks because you are so happy and so full of joy because of what Jesus has done in your lives. You know, life is challenging. It really is. You know that. The curse, the evil one who hates us because we love the Father, the world who resents us because we bring conviction on them by our very presence. You don't have to say a word. Go someplace and tell somebody you're a minister or a pastor. Everything just shuts down. Talk all changes. Go someplace and tell, so go to work and tell somebody you're a Christian and see what happens between those relationships between you and them if they're not Christians. The world resents us because we bring conviction on them just by our presence. And with all these things, how can we live in this life as overcomers? Well, in the book of Nehemiah, we see Nehemiah taking a group to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And in the process, they face opposition, lots of it. But they prevailed. And once the walls were complete, they had a feast with great joy. And in verse 10, we read, of Nehemiah chapter 8, Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet, and send portions to those for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy to our Lord. Do not sorrow, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. We live life as overcomers by abiding in the joy of the Lord, which is our strength. Throughout the Bible, we see God's faithfulness in a myriad of catastrophic circumstances. And not just in the Bible, in our lives. The joy of the Lord is your strength. I'm saying it, but I didn't say it. God said it. Jesus said all things are possible if only we believe. If we look at the circumstances, we will doubt. But if we look at the faithfulness of God, joy will be our strength. I remember a time when I was uh, unemployed for six months. And I just knew that nothing good could come out of that. But Pastor Nick said to me, Wayne, be at peace. God is faithful. And you know, we came out those other six months with food on our table, a roof over our heads, and our bills paid. 
You don't know how much debt I had at the time. And you don't know what a good paying job I lost. So you don't know how great my bills were and how so little income, no income, was going to meet that need. But God was faithful. 17 years later, I found myself once again unemployed. But this time, I wasn't, I wasn't concerned. I wasn't worried. I was at peace. Because I knew God would take care of us. And he did. And today I'm still unemployed. But God is taking care of us. And if it wasn't for God's grace in those 17 years, I'm sure he would still be taking care of us, but I don't know how. But his grace over those 17 years allowed me to acquire a retirement plan that allows us to live comfortably. Not rich, but comfortably. Our faithful God who dances over us with joy was faithful. He walked through the furnace once and coming out unscathed. Oh, having walked through the furnace once and having come out unscathed, I knew God had me in his loving hand. I don't know what you're going through this morning. I know all of you. I don't know your lives in the intimate details, and that's not necessary. But I know the world. I know the enemy. And I know life is challenging. So I don't know what you're going through in your life or maybe what you're about to go through. I have a friend fighting for his life this morning. And the scripture says that by Christ's stripes he is healed. It also says that each of us are allotted a fixed number of days. And in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus taught for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. I believe he told us to pray that way because God's will is not always done on earth as it is in heaven. In his letter to the church at Rome, Paul taught us that all things work together for good. And you know, we don't always see the good, but that's because God's still working it. You get pregnant and you have a, and for humans it takes nine months for that baby to mature enough that it can live on its own. You don't necessarily see the baby for those nine months. But you know the baby's there. The mother feels it kicking. You feel it growing and the weight it puts on your lower back. The husband realizes he has to bend over more to try to kiss her. We don't always see the fruit while God is still working the good. But it's the promise of that good which will be worked on our behalf by our loving, all-powerful God that causes us to have unspeakable joy. Peter said it this way in chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being more precious than gold, which perishes, 
through it is tested, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, who having not seen you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice with, inex- with joy inexpressible and full of glory. God is working all things for your good so that the proven genuineness of your faith, which is worth more than gold, that may take a little bit of thinking to come to that conclusion, but that's what God says. The genuineness of your faith is worth more than gold. Will result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. And that was the message brought by the angel that first Christmas. Joy to the world, unspeakable and full of glory because Jesus Christ the Savior has come to save you from your sins against God and give you a glorious hope in this life as well as the life to come. Believe in him. Whatever you're going through, believe in him and you will be filled with inexpressible joy, with glorious joy. Let's pray. Father, this morning, we rejoice in you who loves us so much and has done so much for us that we don't even comprehend. No matter how long we live in this life, we'll never know the fullness of your love. And we won't realize the extent of your grace and mercy upon us. But Father, we having, even though we haven't seen, we choose to rejoice. Spirit of joy, fill our hearts. Fill us, oh God, with thanksgiving for what you've done for us and with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Because you're such a good God. For those going through the various trials of life, Father, I pray that you would fill their hearts with joy because the joy of the Lord is our strength. Thank you that you are our strength. And because of that, we can be joyful in every season, in all circumstances. Amen.